Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and since it's summertime and the sun is out in SoCal, we're taking the show to the beach. Well, not literally, although I'm sure we all wish we could be gathering on the sand for beach parties like we did in a pre-coronavirus pandemic world. What I mean is that my guest for this episode is the head coach of the USC women's beach volleyball team and an Olympic gold medalist in 2000, Dane Blanton. Dane, it's an honor to have you on the Everything USC podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited and really appreciate you reaching out. It'll be great to talk to you today, and of course, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. You can also go to the website Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me directly, you can find and follow me on Twitter. Send all your questions and comments about USC or any kind of sports there at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dane, any social media or websites or anything you want to promote? Let's get it out there. Yeah, nothing too crazy to promote. You know, I'm really easy to find at Dane Blanton. No space between the first and last. Just straight up at Dane Blanton. That goes for Twitter and Instagram and easy to find on Facebook as well. And then the website is daneblanton.com. Or you can find me on the USC website as the head coach over there. So if you want to reach out to me, I'm an easy guy to reach. That's awesome. And Dane, you were 11 matches into your first season as the Women of Troy's head coach with a 6-5 record, about ready to head to Florida to play in the Stetson Beach Blast when the NCAA spring sports season was shut down and never resumed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Take me through the events that happened between finishing what turned out to be your final match of the season versus UCLA on March 11th and then announcing the very next day that the trip to Florida was canceled. Yeah, that was really crazy. The fact of just being so focused, you're right in the beginning of the season. Like you said, it didn't seem like 11 matches we had already played, but in beach volleyball, you can play multiple matches in a day. So the season starts really fast and furious, I guess you'd say. And we were playing at home against Pepperdine and UCLA. We had defeated Pepperdine, and we were right there about to defeat UCLA. They came back and won a best out of five is how our duels are run. And we were leaving basically the courts thinking that you had to rush, go pack your bags, get ready. And we were going to leave for Florida the next day. But all the news was coming down at that time. And who would have thought in a million years that the season was over? We definitely had no even thoughts of that at the time. And fortunately, we didn't get on the plane the next morning. We were directed by the athletic department not to and basically stand down and see what was going to happen next. So at least we didn't get on that plane to fly to Florida just to turn right back. But really unfortunate to lose the season. And that's the least of many people's worries because we're just in a place now where not only human life is being lost and uh, 
terribly high rate. People are losing their livelihood as well. So it would be nice to get sports back, but at the same time, we got to look at the order of importance as well. But never in a million years did we think that we'd be where we are now and that our season was going to end so abruptly. And I think everybody has that similar sentiment. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about how the players took it. Obviously, they're young, they're in college, they've never had to deal with anything close to something like this. How did they take this whole shutdown of the season? Well, I think the biggest thing you look at is missed opportunity. You think like, hey, I've been training for an entire preseason. I've been training in the championship season, getting ready for the start of the season. And now it's that's the fun part for an athlete is to test themselves to see where they're at. And there's some great teams out there. And, you know, you have a squad together and you think you can do certain things. And then all of a sudden it's gone. So it's hard emotionally. And it was hard on a lot of players because – they love playing beach volleyball. They're passionate about that. And when that's pulled away from you, it's challenging. So we've been a real line of support who usually are off during the entire summer. But our athletic director, Mike Bone, has been a tremendous leader and really encouraged all the coaches to really be a line of support, a level of support, and meet with their squads on a weekly basis. So We've come even closer together as a team, I think, in this adversity. And really, just the leadership of the whole athletic department has made me really proud to be a part of the USC family. That is great to hear. And let's talk a little bit about how that season was going. Like I mentioned, 6-5 and five record, but all five of those losses were 3-2 in those best-of-five duels, all the top 20-ranked teams. How close were you to really having, you thought, maybe a great season coming forward? <laughs> we were really close. You know, we had made some adjustments in the lineup. We've got some new players coming in in January who had just joined us. And every match that we stepped on that court, we were improving. So as a coach, you think the sky's the limit. I think we would have been in the mix to not only have an extremely competitive season, but an opportunity to win a national championship. And that's the tradition for beach volleyball at USC is to be at the national championship, put yourself in position into the finals and hopefully win. But we definitely were going to have the opportunity to be in the mix to win a national championship. So it was very frustrating to have everything stop. You mentioned the legacy of USC Beach Volleyball. Of course, it was your first year taking over for the legendary Anna Collier. She won three straight national titles from 2015 to 2017 and had a 62-match win streak in that span, an NCAA record. Those last two national titles were the first two NCAA-sanctioned national titles for the sport of beach volleyball. How was that? Was there any pressure taking over for such a great coach? Well, of course, you know, the program that she created was at such a high level. You want to continue that tradition. But I was a part of all of those championships as an assistant coach, which was really great because I had the opportunity to learn from the legend, Anna Collier, and to see how she coached and take the good stuff that I saw and try to integrate it into my coaching style as well. So sure, there's the pressure there, not really anything I think about because I put so much pressure on myself to do well and succeed and to be the best that I can that it all kind of falls in line. So, you know, if you ask me three or four years from now, it might be a different answer. 
but I know what USC Beach Volleyball is all about. I know what the expectations are, and I think my expectations are extremely high, and I think the players realize that. But at the end of the day, we're trying to put together a team that's not only going to have a good time together, but they're going to push one another, and they're going to get out of here with a national championship ring and a great degree and go on to represent the Trojan family. So it's not a lot of pressure. I think the pressure's always been there, and maybe I'm just used to it. What was the most important thing you think you learned as an assistant under Anna Collier? I think player management, and it's an interesting sport. There's no other format in beach volleyball quite like collegiate beach volleyball. Having five starting teams, so five pairs, number one pair, even though they might be of higher ability, they're no less important than the number five teams. You just score one point when you win a match, and you got to win three out of five of those matches. So you have to really make sure that each individual is getting the attention that they need because we're short, right? One head coach, two assistant coaches, and that's it. You have five teams, so sometimes you're scrambling around. So it's the relationships that you build prior to competition that are so important. And do you think that yourself being a former elite player, I mean, obviously Olympic gold medalist, you were on the AVB tour for so long, does that help you as a coach to get through to the players? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because you've been on the court, you've experienced it, you know what they're going through at times, you know different pitfalls that are going to be presented in front of them. And so you can warn them of things happening because you've been in that situation before and you can kind of prep them by that knowledge that you already have. So I think that's helped me tremendously knowing the game and being surrounded by the game of beach volleyball since, uh, you know, I guess the early 80s when I fell in love with the sport watching the professional circuit back then with legends like Sinjin Smith, Randy Stoklos, Tim Hovland, who is a USC alum, Mike Dodd, and just to see the legends play and then for me to be able to play against some of those legends and to win an Olympic gold and go back to a second Olympic Games and then get into broadcasting and then coaching. It's just been a really great ride for me. But all of that experience over all of those years, I try to use that in some way, shape or form to help each individual on the team. And now let's talk about the outlook for this team going into what we hope will be a season for 2021. First of all, obviously, you had a couple of seniors, a couple of grad transfers on the team. And with the season being cut short and it being a spring sport, the NCAA is allowing them to return if they choose. Do you know if any of those players are going to come back? Joy Dennis was a senior. Haley Harwood, part of the number one team, was a grad transfer. There's Cammie Dorn, Belen Castillo. Any news about them? Are they going to come back or not? Yeah, so Cammie Dorn is going to move on. She had some great opportunities set up, and so she has opted not to come back. Belen Castillo will come back, and Joy Dennis will come back. And then Haley Harward actually has two more seasons, I believe, now that she's got her eligibility extended. So she had this season coming up already, and she will have an additional season after this 21 season because of the eligibility extension due to COVID. That's great news for them. And obviously, we wish Cammy Dorn the best. And it's always a tough choice, especially when you have other options in life. And 
you got to move on sometimes. So good for them. And in terms of any players we should be keeping an eye on for 2021 that maybe were under the radar in the 2020 season? Well, I just got a grad transfer. Her name's Julia Scholes, and she started her career in North Carolina as an indoor player, went to Hawaii playing on the beach, and now she's in graduate school. So she's come over very physical. You mentioned Haley Harward, who was a libero for Long Beach State. After her three and a half years or four full seasons on indoor, she's decided to come over and play on the beach, and she's going to be fantastic. Then you have Tina Gradina from Latvia, who is already qualified for the Olympics. She has two more years of eligibility. She won the National Player of the Year as a sophomore. She will return and train to hopefully go to the Tokyo Olympics on the USC campus, so she'll be back. And then Sammy Slater, Haley Hallgren. We have the Norse twins who will be freshmen again, which is amazing. We have Kyla Doig, who will be a freshman again. So we're in a really strong position. We also got the number one and number two recruits in Megan Kraft and Delaney Maple coming in from Torrey Pines High School. They are just joining the team as freshmen. And the list goes on. You know, everybody on this team is going to have a huge impact and we're creating a really fun environment where it's going to be competitive and we're going to elevate one another's game every day that we're out on that sand. And quickly talk about how recruiting is in the sport of beach volleyball. It's not like there's a lot of high schools across the country that are playing beach volleyball as a varsity sport. How do you go and find players for a beach volleyball program? Wow. How do you find players for a beach volleyball program? Is that what you said? Yeah, in terms of recruiting, it's not like normal sports where, you know, in football, you're watching a lot of high school football players, right? There's not a lot of high school beach volleyball. Yeah, you're right. You look at the club level. So a lot of players still playing in indoor, but they're also playing at a club locally. Arizona's got some huge club. They're all over Southern California, Northern California, Texas, Florida. And a lot of coaches and players, it's a big thing to put together tape now and There's recruiting services and whatnot, so you can really get a good view of what the landscape looks like. So that's where we spend the time when the tournaments happen. A lot of the big events happen right in Southern California, whether it's AAU, USAV, or AVP. All of these entities, California Beach Volleyball Association, the CBBA, they're all running tournaments, and a lot of the best players from around the country will come to. Southern California, usually in July, and stay almost a month and compete in all these tournaments. And it gives us coaches a great opportunity to go down to the beach and to check them out. But like I said, throughout the rest of the year, we're looking at a lot of video and we're talking to a lot of club coaches. Is there a way to distinguish between who might be going to pursue indoor versus beach? Obviously, a lot of them play both. Yeah, there's absolutely, you know, a lot of them make distinct decisions lately on whether they're going to play indoor or beach, but some of them continue to play both. And a big goal of mine coming onto the staff as a head coach was to really make the relationship between beach and indoor seamless. So if an athlete wants to play on both, that we can make that happen. And we haven't had an athlete play both indoor and beach yet, but that's my goal. And The new head coach of the indoor program, Brad Keller, is very interested in that as well. And we just want to give 
kids as much opportunity. If you play both sports, then USC welcomes you with open arms. And we want the best and the most options for you to deal with as a prospective student-athlete. That's great. And looking forward to hopefully a 2021 season for USC Women's Beach Volleyball. And is it going to count as your second season then? Because the first one got cut short, but it still counts as your first season, right? You'll be going into your second season as head coach. I don't know. You know, I I don't keep (laughs) up with a lot of that stuff, but I'll tell you what, it's just a great opportunity. And I know that the stakes are high and you want to just do really well. So I just hope we can get back to some sort of normalcy and playing on a level that looks something like it was a year ago, right? Who knows? Maybe we're wearing masks. I'm not sure. But it's encouraging to see how successful the AVP's events over the last few weeks have been. I think that's been encouraging that they're running events without fans, with a lot of safety protocols, with consistent testing. And we're a sport where, you know, you only have one partner, the opposition's on the other side of the net. It's fairly easy to socially distance and hopefully prevent the spread of COVID. And we just, like I said, it would be so nice to get to a place where we get the green light and we can get back on the sand. Yeah, I think that's what all of us are looking forward to. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, please subscribe and rate us. On all of your favorite podcast directories, you can get the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, or go to the website Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, Dane Blanton, let them know where they can catch up with you on social media. Yeah, catch up with me at Dane Blanton on Instagram, on Twitter as well, and I'm on Facebook as well, but at Dane Blanton, no spaces, just first and last name, and also a website, daneblanton.com, so really easy to get a hold of me. What's up, everybody? Marcus Grant here from NFL Network, and you are listening to the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend, Nara Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. See, I say long time because it's better than saying old. Besides being the Trojans head coach for women's beach volleyball, my guest today, Dane Blanton, also does a lot of work as a broadcaster on the sport. And for the last two weekends, he's been in Long Beach to work on the AVP Champions Cup Series, which will conclude this weekend with the Porsche Cup. Full disclosure, I also was there working during the first weekend of the series and got to see firsthand some of the new regulations and restrictions that are now in effect to put on a sporting event and television production. No fans allowed, temperature checks taken, masks and social distancing required, plexiglass shields inside TV trucks to separate people, only box lunches to feed everybody. These are just some of the things that have changed due to the pandemic. What has the experience been like for you working under these new conditions? Well, you know, it's been challenging, but necessary, right? So you kind of know it has to happen for it to be successful. So I guess the biggest inconvenience would be driving down each week and going to get a test. But that's also been very informative, too. It's nice to know because a lot of people are having a very difficult time getting tests. So we have that opportunity. And it's just a lot more protocols, but definitely worth it to see the end product and to see the professionals play. Yeah, for sure. It's great to see the AVP put this tournament together. And we've seen during the first two weeks, 
the number one seeded teams on both sides, the men's and the women's, come through. Phil Dahlhauser and Nick Lucena for the men. April Ross, USC alum, and Alex Kleinman. They've won both the Monster Hydro Cup and the Wilson Cup so far, with, again, just the Porsche Cup left to go for the sweep of the Champions Cup series. There's a lot of Trojans represented throughout. Besides April Ross, you've got Sarah Hughes and Kelly Clays, former teammates on the beach volleyball team for USC. They're now playing with separate people. Hughes with Brandy Wilkerson, Clays with Sarah Sponsel, and Therese Cannon's been involved. And then on the men's side, you've got Tri Bourne doing well. And then the McKibben brothers, of course, Madison and Riley. And just tell me, how do you feel that has gone so far during the first two weeks? Oh, it's been great. And then I don't know if you mentioned Allie Wheeler as well. She was there this weekend. Oh, that's right. So yeah, Trojans really represented well on the professional ranks. And it's so fun. I got an opportunity to coach Sarah Hughes and Kelly Clays when I was at SC as an assistant. And I think the events have been better than expected. Logistically, they've been a big challenge for the AVP, but they pulled it off. Donald Sun, who owns and runs the tour, Al Lau, who's the chief operating officer, and Josh Glazebrook. Putting together the event was just an incredible feat, and we're right in the middle of it, right? You said the Porsche Cup, the final one coming up this weekend is going to be awesome, but really happy with the way it's turned out, and the volleyball and the level that's being played has really been off the charts. I didn't think that the players would come in in real mid-season form because it's been really clean and the best players have won. Phil Dahlhauser, Nick Lucena, the number one men's team have played just fantastically and maybe some of the best volleyball of their career. And they're both 40 years of age now. And then on the women's side, you mentioned that April Ross and Alex Kleinman, just complete domination. The first weekend they beat Randy Wilkerson and Sarah Hughes, a fellow Trojan. And then, of course, this weekend they beat Team Canada, who are the current world champions. So both number one seeds winning on consecutive weekends. The big question now, can they do it three weeks in a row? Yeah, and a big bonus for them at the end, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, as it were. But talk about how, especially Phil Dahlhauser, Nick Lucena, both 40 years old, How do older players continue to do well in the AVP and beach volleyball when it seems like age in other sports diminishes effectiveness? But we've seen this forever. Even going back, you saw Sinjin Smith and Randy Stoklos and Karch Karai play at a high level to an older age. You've seen it with Carrie Walsh Jennings on the women's side, even April Ross to a certain extent, Jennifer Kessie, another Trojan. Like, How does this happen in beach volleyball? Well, it's one of those sports that you really need the wisdom and you need the experience to really kind of find your groove. It's rare that you see a young player that's, say, 18 years old, 20 years old, that comes out and absolutely dominates the sport. It usually takes time, but then playing on the beach and the way that the sport is set up, it provides for you to have a really long career, right? The sand's pretty easy on your body. So take it almost like basketball, right? Usually the basketball player coming in straight out of college takes a few years to start to figure it out. And then I think those peak years are, so let's say 28 to 35. But with beach volleyball, once you get to that 35, your body's still in great shape because it hasn't taken the beating of the hardwood floors. You've been on the sand. So I think that extends the career of so many of these athletes. And that's why we're seeing A team like Nick and Phil, both 40-something now, are still dominant because they're merging not only their physicality, but more the wisdom and experience that they've learned over the last, 
let's say 15 years. And I should have mentioned Phil's previous partner too, Todd Rogers. He played forever and was a wizard out there playing with Phil. So it is a sport where you can play to an older age, but tell me a little bit from how the AVP is now, beach volleyball is now. How is it different compared to when you played? Wow. Well, a lot of the rules have changed, right? So in 2000, that was the last year that we had the big court. It was a 30 by 30 court. Now the court is eight by eight meters, which is technically about 24, roughly, give or take. So you've lost about a foot and a half on each side and about three feet on each end line. So it's a drastic difference. Also, the let serve is in play. That happened in 2000 as well. And I believe the biggest switch over the last 20 years would be the fact that it is rally scoring now. There's a point on every rally it's scored. You do not have to be serving, whereas you used to play one game to 15, you had to serve to score. And so that has changed from a rules perspective. Then from a physicality perspective, I'd say the athletes now, you know, technology has improved and whatnot, and some of the athletes might be in a little better shape. But it's similar. You know, I think you could plug in an athlete from 25 years ago to today's game, and you could plug in today's athlete to the game that was played 25 years ago. So I think the rules have dictated the biggest changes for sure. And then the way that a player has a season has changed a little bit because you used to have 25 events on the AVP. Everything was domestic. There was no Olympics. Now, with a combination of the international circuit, people trying to make it to the Olympic Games, you have about eight to 10 domestic AVP events, and then maybe another 10 international events that you're going to play in. And so you might, as a player, still be playing in that 20 to 25 events, but you're doing it all over the world. That's been a big difference. And speaking of the international events and the Olympics, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would be in the first week of the Tokyo Olympics right now. And since being added to the slate of Olympic sports in 1996, beach volleyball has proven to be one of the most popular sports of the quadrennial event. How does the postponement of the games until next year impact these beach volleyball athletes specifically? Well, that's a challenge, right? That's a big curveball that was thrown at these athletes, especially for some of the older athletes, right? We talked about Phil and Nick being 40. Jay Gibb is 44 years of age. His partner, Taylor Crabb, only 28. So when you're younger, you can make these moves. But a lot of these players were thinking about retirement. And so now what they're having to do is extend it a year. So it's a good thing for the fans. They get to see some of these older players play another year. But also the window for qualification will be extended. So no one really knows how many events are going to take place from now until July of 2021. But the whole qualification process can change technically and you got to extend it. So everybody is a little different. Some people, I think it's advantageous who want a little more practice time and experience under the belt. Others they would rather have the games take place this year and so they could move on to whatever's next. So everybody's looking at it differently, but everybody understands, you know what? There's challenges that are put in front of us and it's not about controlling those challenges. It's about how you react when those challenges are presented to you. And I think the players have handled it well and they're playing that patient game and they're going to be ready to go come 2021. And let's keep our fingers crossed that we do have an Olympic Games. Yeah, we still don't know for sure, depending on how this pandemic progresses, if we will have those 21 Tokyo Olympics. But 
qualifying normally, like you mentioned, it's on the FIVB tour, the international tour, and it's on hold right now. And there's all these restrictions with travel between countries, some bands, like a lot of people from the U.S. can't travel overseas right now. How do you think they're going to be able to handle that if those things are continuing? How do you have qualification tournaments? Well, that's a great question. And Americans can't even go some places, right? So there's a lot of obstacles that are in the way and a lot of things have to reverse course and we need to be in a better spot in terms of the pandemic for us to think about sports really going off without a hitch. You know, right now, currently, the NBA is about to start. The NFL is trying to fire up. Major League Baseball, I know, is having some issues with the pandemic within certain teams right now. So you want to look to that professional ranks to see how all the other sports are going to fall in line. So I think everybody's watching these major, the big three, to see how they respond. And if they're successful, then there's a lot of hope for other sports. It's going to be interesting. MLB has started up. We've already seen a major outbreak on the Miami Marlins team. And then the NBA and NHL bubbles are getting underway. And of course, the big one, the NFL, we're going to see how they handle things. They can't put themselves in a bubble and We've seen some players already starting to opt out of the NFL season. So it will be interesting to see how they handle things and how the rest of the sports world does it. But I want to talk about some more positive things related to the Olympics, and that is your experience there playing in the Olympics. As mentioned, a 2000 gold medalist along with Eric Fenoimoana. After you guys barely qualified for the games, you returned four years later, played with Jeff Nygaard, who's actually now the men's indoor volleyball coach for USC. Talk about your two experiences playing in the Olympics, beginning with one of the great maybe upsets in Olympic history, what you guys did, you and Eric did in 2000. Yeah, the 2000 Olympics was amazing, right? It took two years to qualify. It was your top eight finishes of those two years. You could play in 20 events, but only eight would count, right? So you wanted your best eight. Until you won eight, you could always be improving your circumstance. And as you mentioned, we ended up qualifying on the very last tournament prior to the Olympics. I think it was about 45 days prior to the games that took place in Belgium. And we needed to finish fourth place or better. Fortunately, we finished in third. That put us into the Olympics as the number two team. Only two teams per country can go maximum. And a lot of people just didn't give us an opportunity. You know, they didn't think that we could do much. And I think that kind of put a a little chip on our shoulder and we played with a little more attitude because people just thought we were going to go down there and lose a couple games and come home. And Eric and I focused on really playing one point at a time, focusing on whatever the next movement was, not focusing on the score as much because the score takes care of itself if you put your head down and do your thing. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in the semifinals, had to go overcome some serious adversity, some tough calls at times. And then in the finals against Brazil, a team that had beat us four previous times, we had done our homework every time we took notes why we lost. It was always so close. It seemed like it was always a two-point win. They'd beating us 15-13, 16-14, 15-12, whatever it may be. And we knew if we could just clean up a couple errors, keep the intensity up, that would give ourselves an opportunity to win a gold. And we said to ourselves, you know what? Driving down to the beach that day from the village, down to Bondi Beach, we said, you know, we already, 
are guaranteed the silver. Let's go down there and make some noise. Let's do something different. You know, we could have slept in and got the silver. Let's go down the beach and do something. And that's what we did. End up bringing home the gold. And it was just the pinnacle and the highlight of our careers and something that we'll never forget. And we'll always share as partners, Eric and myself. And it was just incredible. I think coming home and seeing all your peers and all the people cheering for you because you're playing not for your high school, not for your college, not for a national championship. You're representing the country on a global level and everybody knows what the Olympics are all about. So it was so cool to get home and to celebrate with everybody. I remember watching that and I've always been a huge beach volleyball fan. I grew up in Santa Cruz in Northern California, played a little bit for fun with friends on the beach. So it's always been one of my favorite sports to watch. And that was an incredible thing seeing you guys pull that off in Sydney. The other thing that's incredible is that in that final against Brazil, one of those guys you went up against, Ricardo Santos, is still playing. How is that possible, Dane? (laughs) that's That's a miracle, right? It is so amazing. Ricardo Santos, a legend of the game, one of the best players ever to step foot on the sand. He got him silver that year in 2000. He came back in 2004, won the gold medal with Emmanuel Rigo, and then in 2008, they took home the bronze. So he has each of the Olympic medals, gold, silver, and bronze. He's a world champion, and he's continuing to play. He plays on the AVP Tour now. I think the last thing he wants to accomplish is win an AVP title, and he has the ability to do it. It's just really incredible that he's still out there. I believe he's right around 44, 45, and he's playing so well. He's just putting so much heat on the ball still. and good guy, classy guy. And it's fun to see him there and say hello to him. And it's miraculous that he's still out there. I can't imagine still being out there, but his body is definitely held up. And then you came back in 2004. The result was more disappointing for you and Jeff Nygaard in that one, but you became the first two-time U.S. male beach volleyball Olympian. So that's something no one can ever take away from you. How much did that two Olympics mean for you in terms of how it influenced your career. Yeah, I set a goal, you know, once you win the gold medal, it's kind of like, where do you go from there? And then I said, you know what, let me try to make it back four years later. And I, like you mentioned, teamed up with Jeff Nygaard, who's now the head men's volleyball coach at USC and has been for some time. And it's interesting, we're both at SC now coaching, but we had a really great run in 2003 and 2004. You know, we were the top team in the United States for some time. And just didn't put it together at the right time when we got to Athens. So unfortunately, that didn't work out. But the road to make it back to another Olympic Games was very challenging. And that's something I'm really proud of, that I was able to make it back there. Of course, I would like the result when I was there to be much better. And final thing about this is, this is just a thought I've had, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but did beach volleyball becoming an Olympic sport maybe help the world catch up to the U.S. in competitiveness in a similar way that the Dream Team in 1992 in basketball in Barcelona led to better international teams? Oh, without question. I mean, it used to be from an international standpoint, no one could touch the United States and Brazil. They would battle it out the whole time. But the FIVB, I think, took a really smart course in the late 90s where They put a quota on how many teams from each country could play. Because back then, honestly, if you had a 32-team tournament, you could have had 10 Brazilian teams and 10 American teams. But when they cap it at three teams into the main draw, 
then you start getting participation from a lot of the other countries. And then the other countries start to fund their programs knowing that, all right, now we have a team that's playing on the international circuit. So by going international, by becoming an Olympic sport, different countries started to invest in their athletes and they started hosting tournaments for the popularity. I mean, the craziest thing ever is, you know, the study of the biggest and best event that has been run on a worldwide level took place in Klagenfurt, Austria for years. And it was like no other, you know, a 10,000 seat arena packed lines around the block trying to get in an incredible VIP experience and the best volleyball players in the world. So to answer your question, absolutely. When it became an Olympic sport, it put all the other countries really on notice and they stepped up by funding beach volleyball and growing their sport. Now the top team in the world is in Norway, uh, a guy named Anders Moll, Moll and Sora. And there's some young kids and they're just amazing. And they were just, you know, little rats running around in the 2000s and learning the game by watching it. But the fact that the FIVB circuit went to Norway, Stavanger, Norway, every year, they probably created those dreams by watching those events real time, just as I created my dreams watching events real time on the AVP tour in Laguna Beach when I was a kid. Yeah. If you would have told me in the year 2000 that some Scandinavian country would have the best beach volleyball pair in the world, I'd have told you you were nuts. But like you said, that is how it is now. And it is nice to see it be a truly international sport. And that's partly why the Olympics mean so much. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can catch it wherever you find your favorite podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, or TuneIn. Subscribe and rate the show wherever your favorite podcast directories are, or go to the website Believe.com and on social media at Believe Podcast. Believe is B-L-E-A-V. You can find and follow me on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, head coach for the USC Women's Beach Volleyball team and an Olympic gold medalist, Dane Blanton. Dane, let everyone know where they can reach you. Yeah, you can reach me at at Dane Blanton, and that's on Twitter and on Instagram. I guess I'd say I'd use Instagram more than I do use Twitter but also on Facebook as well. And then the website, daneblanton.com. And if you ever have any questions of me or want to reach out to me, I'm pretty easy to find. Just message me on one of those platforms. I'm Sam Farber, host of USC Trojans Wrap-Up on the USC Trojans Radio Network. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And finally, with public awareness of systemic racism at possibly an all-time high due to recent events, including the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor at the hands of the police, and the protests not only in the streets of America but across the world, we've seen so many athletes speak up about some of the racial imbalances that are prevalent in the world of sports. Dane, you were a pioneer of sorts as the first African-American to win a major beach volleyball tournament back in 1997 at the AVP Hermosa Beach Grand Slam with Canyon Seaman. But there are very few people of color representing America in the world of beach volleyball, which is easily observed just by looking at the roster for the AVP Champions Cup Series that features only Chrissy Jones, plus Swiss-Canadian Brandy Wilkerson as black players, 
And you've got Melissa Humana Paredes, who is a Canadian whose parents are from Chile. On the men's side, the only non-white participants are Ricardo Santos, and then there's also a Puerto Rican player. Are there any reasons you know of why there aren't more people of color playing volleyball in the United States? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And when I was winning my first event and becoming the first African-American to win a major event, that was back in 97. And I thought I'd be able to move the needle and make a difference. I had a program called Dane's Day at the Beach. I would introduce it to inner city kids and kids that hadn't been introduced to the sport and kids of a diverse background. And I did that by working not only with the Boys and Girls Club, but with the YMCA. I'd bring them to the event on a Friday, do a clinic, and then I would bring them on Sunday so they could see the event real time and really experience it live. I think that makes the biggest impact. And I did that for a few years with multiple stops on the AVP tour. And the hard thing was I always point to accessibility and exposure to the sport. And what I mean by that is exposure. You can flip on the TV any day of the week and usually watch baseball or basketball or football now, for that matter, right? You got Monday night football, you got Thursday night football, you got Sunday night football. And if kids can see it, they believe that they can achieve it. And so volleyball hasn't been exposed enough on a regular basis until the last couple of years with the contract with Amazon Prime where, hey, I can turn on this every Saturday during the summer and I can watch beach volleyball. So that exposure is very important. And then the accessibility. And what I mean by that is a lot of beach volleyball is played in Southern California near the beach, very affluent. It's difficult when you go to areas that are not on the beach traditionally, that do not have courts, that do not have coaching. So I go in there, I would do a clinic, expose it to kids that maybe never experienced that there was an option, right? I don't have to play basketball. Oh, look, I can play volleyball. But then when I leave, if there's no coaches there, if there's no courts there, then it's hard to stick, right? I just can't come around once every year and make it this popular sport. So that was a big challenge for me. And I was surprised that it was such an uphill battle. But my goal has been to try to get another male African-American to win a championship. And no one's really been in the mix. And it's kind of a sad state that that hasn't happened in you know, what has it been now, 23 years since I did that? So that's been a big challenge, but never lose hope. I think there's still opportunities and it's just about, like I said, exposing it to a young player and them understanding that that could be a path and there could be some great opportunities down that path. Right. I think the key is to try and get them playing it young. And you can see, like you mentioned, with basketball and volleyball, you have some similarities where you have people who are tall and can jump high, right, in both of those sports. And you've had former basketball players transition over into volleyball and be successful. We see it now with Chase Budinger, former star at University of Arizona, played in the NBA, played overseas in basketball, and now has come back to play beach volleyball. Mike Whitmarsh, one of the legends, was a former basketball player. Do you think that maybe that's an avenue to try and find maybe an African-American basketball player who can transition to playing volleyball? Yes and no. I mean, that would be really great no matter how you get it to happen. So it does happen and because I think the more diverse the sport is, the more successful it can be because it can reach more people. But I think you're going to find the athletes that are playing basketball, like you're saying, that I think it translates well. I played basketball and volleyball in high school because 
they were so similar. He was doing the jumping and the leaping and all the moves are very similar. But I just think that you have to have that dream as a kid and you have to have a star to look up to and to be exposed to the sport. I think that's what it takes. And then once there's the interest, can I pick up a ball and go down to the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, the local park, and play volleyball? That's the big question. You can go and shoot hoops by yourself all the time or with a buddy. But with volleyball, you're usually having a couple people needing to be involved, usually need a net, and sometimes that's not set up. So it can become a challenge, the accessibility, if the program's not being offered either at your local Boys and Girls Club or at your high school or junior high school. And then for you personally, as someone who is often just the lone black person out there in the volleyball circuit, did you experience any kind of form of racism while you were playing or even as a coach? Just, you know, as a black man in America, you experience certain things at certain times, whether it's a racial slur or just different situations that can be challenging. But I wouldn't point any of those directly to me as a volleyball player. But you deal with certain things and it being kind of normal is so crazy that it's taken so long for others to recognize the inequities and just the social and the racial injustice that happens, you know, it's really frightening. I think that there's not more killings going on nowadays than there were. I just think that now there's a lot more videotape of things happening and we're exposed to it more because, I mean, it's crazy to think back. We're in a similar place where we were in the mid-90s with the Rodney King beating. We're in a similar spot, and it doesn't seem like we've made any improvements. So that is what this is all about, the awareness and changing things that have been really ingrained into society for so long. Things uh, have to change, and I think they are changing. And how optimistic are you about how recent events have spurred this change and how impactful it can be going forward? Well, I mean... The protests and everything is really encouraging because you're seeing the change happen. Now, change is always difficult, and that's why there's going to be struggle. There's going to be upheaval and basically the protest, and it's going to take some time, but you just kind of have to keep putting the pressure on society to change so that everybody is treated equally, hopefully, one day. I think that is the dream. That is the dream for all of us, and I think hopefully we will see continual change going forward based on how things have been going. I mean, 2020 has been a crazy year in so many ways, and hopefully some good can come out of it at least. But before I let you go, Dane Blanton, head coach of the women's beach volleyball team at USC, give me your thoughts on what you think is going to happen on the final week of the AVP Champions Cup series that you're broadcasting. Well, you know what? I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that it's going to be more of the same. I think Phil and Nick are going to be hungry to win this final event and to win the Champions Cup. And I think April and Alex are going to be hungry as well. You know, like if they would have maybe lost the second round or they only had one win so far, but it would be something special. And it really, really would be a statement to be made if both Phil and Nick and Alex and April came out and won their third event in a row and basically 
swept this mini season, I guess you'd call it, right? This kind of triple crown, this Champions Cup, that would really put a stamp on it. I think that would have surprised everyone if they could pull that off because when you're in a situation like this, they had about three weeks to get ready. You'd think there'd be a lot of upsets and a lot of teams that maybe were training in the stay-at-home kind of window that got an advantage, but nope, that doesn't seem to be the case. The top teams are performing, and I expect them to do it again. And we will check it out. And, of course, we look forward to the 2021 USC Beach Volleyball season with head coach Dane Blanton. So thank you so much. It has truly been an honor to have you on. I grew up watching you play, and as, again, I'm someone who loved beach volleyball. It's been a true pleasure to have you join me today and talk about not just beach volleyball, but even some of the other factors that are going into the world of sports as well. Thanks, Nara. I really appreciate you having me on and anytime. Awesome. So for my guest, Dane Blanton, head coach of the USC Women's Beach Volleyball Squad, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode seven of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, as I end all of my shows, please remember to Fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.